So morning, I find myself speaking about something that a lot of people are familiar with. And that's in chapter 19 of Matthew. We see uh, a very wealthy man comes to Jesus and they ask him a very important question. And in Matthew 19, 16, it says someone came to Jesus with this question, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? couple of things is that we know this was a young man because later on in verse 20 he's referred to as such. And we also know that this guy is a ruler because Luke refers to him as such too. Uh, so we usually get this story about the rich young ruler. Uh, the initial question that he asks also gives us some insight because he goes to teacher and he says, Rabbi, teacher, point and he points to, that points to him alone as being Jewish. So he's a Jewish ruler. And Luke, it even goes further, and he says and describes him as a certain ruler, which most likely means he was kind of like a magistrate or possibly part of the Sahedrin. But regardless, this guy was young. He was in a position that called for a talented individual with great dignity and an unblemished record. So evidently, he was successful. But he evidently he also knew there was more. He also knew that there was serious questions to be asked, and he was drawn to the person he believed had the answer to that question, the answers that he sought. And he went after them with zeal. You know, he didn't casually approach Jesus here and said, hey, dude, what's up? You know, what do you think about this? He didn't do that. His meaning is described in Mark as one with intensity and respect, in Mark 10, 17, it says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. So he ran up to him and he fell on his knees before him, which was really the ultimate sign of respect at that time. So this man who was wealthy, had some degree of power, had laid it aside because he wanted this question answered. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And on his knees, paying respect to Jesus as a teacher, not as God, as a teacher. And having gone there with zeal and ran up to him and some intensity in that meeting. And having asked that question, the lesson begins. And the first thing Jesus does is he addresses something that we're going to talk about a little bit today for us. And that's this. He says, why ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And he makes a statement here that we really need all to consider and to reflect on because he's telling, he, this guy's using the word good, he's throwing it around in a real worldly sense. And the truth is that only God is good. And our thoughts about what is good through the eyes of our humanness really don't cut it a lot of times. And I'm going to, get a, I'm going to explain this a little bit more. This one you know for sure. We know that being a good person ultimately needs nothing if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Correct? You don't work your way in heaven. On the flip side of that coin, if you have Christ in your life and you consider yourself a good person and are not telling you what the, following what the Lord tells you to do in his words, then your actions may not be good in the eyes of God. See, your actions may be good in the worldly sense, but they may not be good by a godly definition. 
They may not be good by a biblical definition. They actually may be emanating from your own selfish pride because you want to do this. I don't want to be confusing here, so I want to give you a couple other examples. And I'm, I'm going to give you an example right here to wrap your head around, to maybe better understand what I'm saying situationally. So say there's a brother or sister who find themselves in a sinful situation. You love them. The church loves them. But they're in sin. They're doing the wrong thing. Okay? The sinful situation comes to light, but they don't want to repent. They don't want to change their direction. They want to continue to do what they're doing. They refuse to turn back to God. So one thing to understand here, as a child of God, if you truly belong to God, he cares. He's going to do something about it. He's going to get their attention some way. And this may be beginning of wandering in the wilderness for them, so to speak. Maybe having thoughts of loneliness, feeling alone, even if they're sinfully with somebody. Maybe just unhappy. Maybe, you know, they're doing the wrong thing. They're stuck on the wrong side of the line. God's going to allow them to wander in the wilderness to wake them up. Maybe they're facing hardship and a God's allowing trials to come to turn them back to him. This we know is, you know, not unpopular word, but a word that we know called chastisement. And it's to be expected for those who belong to Jesus Christ. Because the Lord cares for his children. So he gives them a chance to repent. He gives them, helps them to endure in the wilderness. Gives them a chance to repent in the desert. And then here comes the ice cream truck with the cold soda. And one of us is driving it. Why? Because there is this need to alleviate that person's suffering. There is this need to remove the pain from them because we love them, because they're a Christian, and we want to jump in, and we want to stop what they're going through. And all the time we're doing that, we're doing good in our mind, but we're actually working directly against God and interfering with his plan of chastisement that's going on. You know, and all I keep thinking of that I, that I hadn't written down right now is about when it comes to addiction and how, you know, you've got you to gotta really draw the line and put your foot down and people want to be held accountable. They come to Christ and they're walking in his power and they're staying out of addiction and they're in the desert, man. They're hurting with, for some things that they did. And people come up, all of a sudden they swoop in and they want to they pick them up and they want to make them feel better. And they actually give them a ride to the other side. And the other side is where they end up dying because they make the wrong decision. And God is trying for them not to get there, to make that decision to turn around before it got that far. But we give them a ride there because we want to alleviate the pain. We don't want them to suffer. That's a really good example of good in our mind that's not good biblically. It's actually, our, our, we're unrighteous. I know it's hard to believe because you're helping somebody and you're picking somebody up. And, and someone say to me, well, don't you think that God's using me in that situation? No. Because if the whole point is for that person to repent and to turn back and to come to God, because he knows the best plan for them. 
and you get in the way of that, and they don't repent, and they continue to sin, you just recharge them. And if they think they can keep their relationships, if they think they can keep their friendships, if they think they can keep their support groups in the middle of doing their... What are you doing? You know what you're doing? You're saying, I know you're sinning, but you know I love you. I'm going to put a stamp of approval on our relationship regardless. It doesn't matter. It's not going anywhere. What? It's wrong. It's not biblical. It's wrong. We have to be very careful with that. When someone's caught up in sin and God's trying to get their attention, it's not okay for other brothers and sisters to start acting like the world and make excuses for them. It's not okay to be supportive of what they're involved with, going out of our way to make them feel good, regardless if they change or not. No. There have been times when people have enabled other people to remain disabled just in order to make them feel better. That's not healthy. I guess uh, people would ask, well, why would somebody jump in and do this? Why would somebody go in and work against God? Sometimes people are blinded by their own pride because they think they have the right answer. And they're or ignorance because they really don't know what the Word says. Most of the times we run into problems because people don't really know what the Word says. They have the wrong interpretation of a verse, or they're taking it out of context, or it's askew, and they're using it to drive someone's life or their own life, and they're incorrect and wrong. And it just gets worse from there. So listen, that could be one of the reasons. Sometimes a person has a spiritual gift of mercy, and this is one of those gifts that you automatically want to relieve somebody's suffering. That comes with a gift of mercy. But listen, the important part of the gift of mercy is to know how to use it, to understand the gift, and to discern God's will in you using it. You know, you can abuse these spiritual gifts. You can use them incorrectly, and that's one way to do it. You've got to be merciful and alleviate everyone's pain regardless of the circumstances. You have to take into consideration God's plan and what he wants you to do with it, how he wants you to use it. And that could be a legitimate reason for something like to happen. Also, secondly, somebody is really not trusting in the word of God. They don't believe in the word of God. They take things like love, and they're going to love them back into God's arms. They're going to love them back into repentance. That is wrong. It's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. Listen, we are here, arms open wide for that person, that prodigal son, to come back over the horizon and to run back in our arms. We are open to give for accountability. We are open to explain the word. We are open to give instruction. We are open to give godly advice. We are not open to support somebody who's living a sinful life. Sorry, no. It's not it. And why would you feel guilty if someone else is living a sinful life and you're not over there trying to love them to death? Because that's not going to get it done. Is that word repentance again? You may actually stop them from repenting. 
Oh, when I said I was talking about trusting God's word. You've got to trust that. Listen, God's working a plan out. If someone's in the desert, now here's the problem, all right? We live in the same area as people who are living in sin. Now, I'm not talking about pagans. I'm talking about Christians who have gone in the opposite direction, who are doing the wrong thing. Somebody's sitting there right now with an attitude saying, who says so? The Bible says so. If the Bible says so, forget about it. doesn't matter what leadership, what church. I'm just talking about the Bible itself. If the Bible says somebody is living in sin, you're going to argue with that probably. But, I mean, are you going to argue with that really? If they're in sin, they're in sin. Okay, and the problem is this. We know about it. And we run into them all the time. So you run into them all the time. So what does that mean for you? That means that all of a sudden it's a, it's a, a time of appeasement. It's a time of making friends. It's a time of acting unjudgmental. It's a time, is that what it means? Are you going to like water down the word of God? Are you going to back up from Jesus Christ because you're afraid of what they think of you because you're actually being biblical towards them? Uh, for a lot of people, yes. Sorry, it's true. Hard stuff. You can be cordial. You don't have to be mean. But you also don't want to hide the truth. You don't want to not share the truth. You don't want to let them know that you know that they're wrong. You're not helping them. You're not helping them. And actually, you better be careful because you're on the precipice of sinning yourself. And you better be careful with that. Listen, I'm not trying to knock anyone down. I'm trying to put a warning out there. Trying to put a warning out there. We have to be careful because what I thought of as good may not be good in God's eyes. May be good in the worldly kind of situation. Remember that if it's good, it's going to line up with the word of God. Now, had a good sister remind me the other day of this word because this word is directly linked, and I'll sidetrack for real quick. You know, the word peace, we've got to be careful with that word too because godly peace is not worldly peace. Godly peace is not worldly peace. Okay? And a lot of times we take actions which we think are good so that we keep the peace. But if it's at the sake of righteousness... If it's against the word of God, if it's against God's will, that is not good. That's not godly. That's not godly peace. Godly peace will never go against the word of God to have a truce, to have a compromise. It doesn't do that. Godly peace holds stand, stands firm in the word of God. So if you're having an argument about the word of God in righteous action, and you're like, oh, I can't argue. I gotta have to, you know, we gotta come to a truce and understanding, whatever. We're not gonna stop. Listen, you can't compromise the word of God for that peace. That's not godly. That's worldly. God's not, what would Jesus do? Let's go with WWJD. God, Jesus, oh yeah, no, you're right. You know, no, you really don't have to follow that. It's okay. I understand. We won't fight anymore. No, it's more like, uh, dude, you got to go to hell. What are you doing? 
You know, we get that all the time. I get that all the time because I have a big mouth. I get that all the time. So you're saying we're going to hell? Yeah, I am. What am I supposed to do? You know, I'll tell you what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to say exactly what I said. I'm not supposed to back up. I'm not supposed to keep the peace. I'm not supposed to make a truce and water down the truce and water down the truth so they walk away, think they're in a good situation when they're going to hell. Anyway, so I just want to I just want to link those two words because they are linked in a lot of actions a lot of times, and believing that actions are good because peace can be attained, just because just could be the opposite of what God wants you to do. All right, so enough of that. Back to the rich young ruler, you know, like many, his thoughts about what good was was really a worldly definition. He was causing calling Jesus good as a man. He was flattering him. <coughs> But Christ's questions and comments is common is a reminder that true goodness only lines up with God and God's word. And as the conversation progresses, we get this picture of where this young man thinks he's at. He's definitely methodical. He definitely pays attention to detail. He's certainly done all the right things because he's in this great position of authority at a young age. And in Matthew 19, 17, Christ answers him. He says, but to, but to answer your question... If you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Seems simple, right? Of course, we know that the only way to eternal salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ by the grace of God. Amen? And that the commandments of God's perfect standards that can't be kept. Someone can't keep all the commandments. It's not possible. Can't keep the law perfectly. They all need a Savior. The ruler's pattern was one of crossing T's and dotting I's. And now in his mind, he was already hearing something that he's already doing in his mind. See, he thinks he's in a good place. He thinks he's taking good action. He thinks he's been following the law since he was a little kid. And the young ruler's response is, okay, so you say I've got to follow the commandments. Which ones? And then Jesus goes on, you shall not murder, commit adultery, steal, false testimony, honor your, other, your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. And as Christ is speaking, you get this image that the ruler is like checking off boxes. Yep, yep. You know, he has this inflated picture of himself. He thinks he's done good in all the areas that Christ has described. And he's ready to check the next box. And he knows what to do. And he says to Christ, he says, all these things I've kept. And here it comes, though, because here's where the Lord's going. He's going to push the button in that man's life that will show where his faith really is at. It will show where his priority is. It will show how important following the patch of, of righteousness is to him or the depth of his belief. And as with many... For him, money is going to be the obstacle. In Matthew 19, 21, Christ says to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in earth, then come follow me. I like the way Mark 10, 21 says it, because it says Jesus looked at him and loved him, and then said that. See, Jesus was actually making this guy actually asking this guy to, to make a commitment, 
to take action that's showing that his love for God was supreme. To show that all this talk from him about obedience was not just formality or an external show, but that he was sincere about it. This was a huge spotlight that was just turned into this guy, the area of this guy's life that he was, that he was struggling with, didn't even know he had a struggle with probably, that he was highlighting, things that were unwilling to be submitted to the Lord. Money was too important to him, and his selfishness was exposed. I love that part in Mark where it says the Lord loved him because why did, God, why did he come to die on the cross? God so loved the world, right? Loves everybody. But how does he love this guy? This is important, people. Listen to this. How does he love this guy? By sharing the truth with him. Jesus is God. He knows when he pushes that button, what's going to happen. doesn't make him feel better. He doesn't pat it. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He brings him right to that place that's taking the place of God in his life, that's hindering him from walking forward with Jesus Christ. He goes right there. Because he loves him. And he wants him to do the right thing. But we know Jesus is our Lord and Savior. He does not kick your door in and make you do things. He doesn't. Get your attention sometimes in hard ways. He's not going to force him to do anything. The choice is his and he chooses the world. And this rich young ruler who had it all together walks away. Sadly, walks away. So when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. See, for him, it's not about wealth. Let me make something clear, too. If God blesses you with wealth, expects you to use it the right way. If you are, amen, he gives you more. You trust you in the little things, you come through, he gives you greater things to do, right? Amen, we know that in the New Testament. But the Bible always warns us about money that be careful it doesn't become an idol doesn't become the thing that you focus on in your life. I've known many rich, very wealthy people who are all about making that money. And when they finally get there, they're all about keeping it. And the anxiety has just shifted sides. It's still there. The worry, the stress. And when I mean wealthy, I mean like $26 million a year. That type of income. That's wealthy. That's really wealthy. But it was all about that. Became an idol. His wealth had become an idol. I believe he had followed the law since youth, but Jesus pointing out he had broken two of the greatest commandments. He had broken these. Matthew twenty two thirty seven says, Love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And 39 says, Love your neighbor as yourself. had broken those because he chose wealth over both of them. 
You know, as we sit here today, as we listen to the word of God concerning this interaction between Christ and the young man, I want to encourage you not to be dismissive about this. This is a story you've heard probably many times before, but I don't want you to be dismissive about it because you've heard it before. I don't want you to be dismissive about it because you're looking forward to what you're going to do this afternoon or that awesome meal that's being cooked. I want you to take time today and listen to what God is saying to you. We are reaching a place here, and I'm not going to be here, but New Hope Chapel is reaching a place here where a push is going to come to shove. We're reaching a place where the crossroads that you're at and you've been hanging on the fence for 30 years, the fence isn't going to be there. You're going to have to make a decision. You're going to have to make a decision to listen to God, to follow God, to seek God out, to be unafraid to change, to come and do the righteous thing. Because that's what God desires for you. You know, the craziest thing is, if you go by what your eyes see, you're going to go, oh man, I can't do that. Are you kidding me? You know what's going to happen? You know all the stuff I'm going to have. And God's got it all worked out. Where's your faith? It's going to be coming to a point where you're going to have to trust and rely on Jesus Christ because when you do that, you're going to be walking in the power of God. You're going to see miraculous things. You're going to see the hand of God move. You're going to see souls saved. You're going to see everything else that comes with it. And you're going to see an abundant life in your life. You're going to see a rejuvenation in your household. You're going to see a rejuvenation in your marriage. You're going to see a vitality in your body. You're going to see a restoring of your health. Because we've got to get out of sin and on the path of righteousness. 100%. We're talking a lot of fluff and stuff and not making the right choices. And listen, can you do that in your life and still be saved? Yeah, absolutely. Should you want to? Absolutely not. God's got a plan. Listen, Jesus loved everyone, died on the cross for the sins of the world. We know that. But he especially loves his children, those who belong to him, and wants us to be useful and active and moving forward for the body of Christ, for the kingdom of God. And just to me today, maybe, just to me, maybe he's helping you to do that. You know, I said at the beginning, be still and know that I am God. And I said there was some things I was going to challenge you to go to him and Maybe he's trying to make you aware right now if you don't know what's getting in the way of you moving forward as a couple in your marriage, as an individual in your households with your children, whatever. Maybe he's trying to point out why your road is rocky, why your road is filled with anxiety that has to be prayed against all the time, why your road is filled with doubt, why your road is lacking power. Why your road is not seeing any results for the kingdom of God. And it's not about being good. I 
I'm hoping that this moment we're in right now, that this time that you've spent here sitting in these pews this morning is not a waste of time, that you and God are having a conversation and that much of it's about listening. And then the second part of that will be about praying that you do the right thing. Listen, it may even be about you getting too involved in everyone else's life when your life's not in order. You know, they have a rule in Celebrate Recovery. When you get together, you can't fix other people. You know why? Because those people who are already always into fixing other people are the people that need to be fixed. And that's part of the issue right there. And a lot of it comes from pride. A lot of it comes from denial. Even as we sit here, I mean, the Lord may be bringing up and putting a highlight on the one thing in your life that is really taking the place of God. Maybe the one thing that's stopping you from following the commands, love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, or love your neighbor as yourself. You know, those two commands, it's important to understand this stuff. To do the first one, I mean, to do, excuse me, strike that in reverse. To do the second one, you have to do the first one. To love your neighbor as yourself, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to do that, Christ tells us the evidence in 14.15, John 14.15. He says, if you love me, obey my commands. So don't be a hypocritical Christian. Don't be one of those that walks around, oh man, I love the God with all my heart, you know, soul, mind, and strength. And you're not obeying his word or trying. There is a difference between trying and failing, struggling and not being able to do it, compared to I'm not doing it, rebellion, or in a pattern of not doing it. Because you're lying to yourself if you're saying that. If you're willingly going in the other direction and you're rebelling against God, you're like, oh, man, I just love him so much. That's a bunch of crap. You don't. Why? Because the Bible says that. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, obey my commands. That's the fruit of loving God. And when you're able to love God in that way, that love is going to help you to love your neighbors as yourself. So Christ loved this young man, and he showed it by sharing the truth. He showed him where his struggle was, showed him what had taken the place of God. That's what we should do. You want to love your neighbor as yourself? Share the truth. Draw the line in God's worth. Hold them accountable. Trust in the Lord. And as we sit here today, I want everybody, and I've said this probably several times now, just to be open to the Holy Spirit, to point out things that are stopping you from being effective in the kingdom of God. You may think you have an awesome life and you're doing great things and the whole bit, but maybe you're missing out. 
Maybe God's got something picked for you. Maybe not as an individual. Maybe as a couple. Maybe there's a strengthening of marriage there. Who knows? Maybe there's a strengthening of a household with your kids. But God opens up things for you to do, even as a family, as an individual, as a husband, as a wife, to walk forward for him. Because there are going to be supernatural consequences that are going to consolidate relationships, that are going to strengthen you in the power of the Holy Spirit that you can't wrap your mind around until you're submitting to the Lord and going in that direction. See, the unfortunate thing about us who sit here right now, not just you guys, but in general, is we want to know what happens at the end before we start the beginning. That makes it very difficult. As far as the rich young ruler is concerned, he walks away. A hard lesson learned, but the teaching's not done because Christ turns around to the disciples and he says, Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easy for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and they asked, Who can be saved then? And you want to know why? They turned to the Lord and they went, Huh? Because their whole life, they were taught by the Jewish rabbis that if a man was rich, then he was blessed by God and therefore probably on the way to heaven. They were taught for centuries that accumulating wealth was a virtue. And even had regulations about how much they could give away. You have to understand, in every thinking, the rich could afford the biggest and the choicest sacrifice. They gave the large amounts to the synagogues and the temple. The thinking was the more they gave out, the more they sacrificed, the more favor they found with God. This is how these guys were raised. So when Christ turns around and says that, they're like, what? Because they didn't get it at first. So in their mind... If this rich guy can't get into heaven, how's this poor guy going to get into heaven? They're thinking the poor didn't have a chance if the rich were out now. In 1926, Christ looks at them. He says, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. And Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. Peter, man, he had a big mouth too, huh? We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Get to thinking. What am I getting for my sacrifice? They were still thinking in the worldly sense the Messiah was ousting oppressors, setting up his kingdom on earth. But Christ is concerned, man, with the eternal. And finally, he says to them in verse 28, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on the glorious throne... You who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Jesus is throwing a lot of grenades here. You know, the concept of the greater sacrifice, the greater reward, went out the window. The concept of being rich as a blessing from God and, and a pass to get to heaven went out the window. The concept of following the law and working your way into heaven as a good person went out the window. 
And what they were left with was what we are left with, Jesus Christ. We are left with the Messiah. We are left with the need for a Savior because we're all sinners. And for some of them, they started to look towards the eternal and get their eyes off the temporal. We have a Lord, we have a Savior who loves us. We have the Holy Spirit who wants to make us more and more Christ-like. And many times that's going to include that spotlight. It's going to include that light on those areas in our lives that we need to pay attention to. It'll, make, it'll certainly include us making hard choices to go in a godly direction, even when it seems like the worst choice in the world. Because why? Because we'll have to rely on the Lord. We'll have to rely on Jesus. But listen, when you go on missions trips, when you go overseas, when you go, I don't care where you go, you go to New Orleans and you're in the streets and you're out of your element, man, you start relying on Jesus Christ about everything because anything that in the world that could bother you starts bothering you. Anything in the world that could make you nervous or raise your level of anxiety or see that you could catch a bullet at any second comes to mind. And so does the Lord and the Holy Spirit, and they take over. But that's when you have to submit and rely on Jesus Christ. There's going to be in those times that that's going to be happening in our lives because the Holy Spirit wants us to become more and more Christ. And unless we willingly deal with those areas in our lives that are taking the place of God, that's not happening right away. And we could be hindering what God wants to use us for. So I just want to encourage to ask you to take an opportunity. You know, service is officially ended, but not really, because I want you to take a moment. I want you to pray. If your husband and wife, please pray together. Go to the Lord. Ask him to point out these things in your life, and then talk about them with your other half. Talk about them maybe with someone you trust. Talk about how you're going to go in that direction. Just don't shrug it off because you have for 20 years. Just don't shrug it off because it's easier not to deal with it. Trust in the Lord and that go in that direction. Amen. Lord, thank you for this time together. I pray, Lord, that as we sit just quietly for a minute or two, that we would clearly hear from you, Lord. Help us to just be obedient, to go in your direction, Lord. We're asking for the power of your Holy Spirit. We're asking for your wisdom, Lord. We're asking for your guidance and direction. Lord, we love you. We know you love us. Use us, Lord. Amen. Take a couple minutes before you leave.